0: Ben Smith, I'm a photographer and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hello folks, Ben here. This is Episode 205 of A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers and um, it's nice to have you join me as always. I am going to bring you this week the Photo London special. That has become a sort of annual tradition now as has the event itself of course and so I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Let me do a quick Uh, Sponsor read because these are very important, as you know. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Capture One Pro, the professional photo editing software for every photographer that allows you to shoot, edit, and collaborate wherever you find yourself, from the most controlled studio environment to the unpredictability of the open road. Capture One's powerful, easy to use set of tools feature true to life colors and superb image quality, lightning fast tethered shooting, speedy and smart shortcuts, and an on the go workflow for both desktop and iPad. (laughs) We'll be right right <laughs> back. And Capture One Live makes remote collaboration, both for getting feedback in real time and post-shoot, faster and easier. Free-to-use, collaborators can access images and leave feedback from any device. Whatever stage you're at in your photographic trajectory, in 2023 you can tell your best stories yet and bring your vision to life with Capture One Pro. Try it out yourself by signing up for a free 30-day trial and get an exclusive 20% discount on your first year subscription by going to captureone.co slash a voice 23 capital A capital S capital V a small voice 23 so yeah I was as usual down at Photo London I didn't go to Peckham 24 this year which is the sort of alternative um, sister event as it were unofficially speaking Uh, and I did go to Offprint which is the book fair that they do at the Tate Modern uh, but I didn't go to that until the weekend and I didn't uh, record that was just for fun so there may be some familiar voices on this year's episode but I did try and do something a little bit different and I think I spent a bit more time uh, focusing on some of the sort of I suppose minor politics behind Things like photo shows, um, photo fairs, uh, and uh, we got into the weeds with discussions about money and structural issues uh, um, surrounding the photo industry, particularly in this country, specifically in this country, should we say. And so, yeah, hopefully you find a lot of this stuff interesting. Talk to Michael Benson, who is one of the founders of the fair and a number of other people who, of course, you will hear. It sort of dawned on me finally that um, there's actually no point in me trying to look at pictures down there at all. Um, I don't know why I didn't come to that conclusion sooner, but my job is to talk to people on the mic record the audio and bring it to you on the podcast. That is basically my job. So that actually makes life a lot easier. Now I don't have to feel like um, I'm missing out by not looking at pictures or that. I'm not making enough effort to see everything. It's uh, quite liberating, actually. But I did see some some images uh, and I did see some shows. And well, you'll hear more um, when you listen. This episode of The Small Voices is also brought to you by PickTime, the advanced online gallery platform for photographers that combines flexible, beautiful client galleries for seamless photo delivery, customizable layouts, built-in slideshows, client-specific print shops with powerful marketing automation tools to help you maximise your revenue and now even a full blogging feature. PickTime is innovating the digital space between photographers and their clients by providing all the tools you need to make sales, engage with your customers and tell your story, providing an all-in-one solution optimized to help you deliver and sell prints elevate your images and grow a successful business try PickTime yourself completely free for 30 days by signing up for a trial period at pick-time.com and enter the code a small voice to get an exclusive bonus month when upgrading to any PickTime time paid plan elevate your photos and build a successful business with PickTime, time the only one platform to deliver share and sell your prints that's pick-time.com Uh, Don't forget, you can become a member of this very podcast if you would like to give it a bit more support. Um, It's not for nothing, though. You do get all sorts of exclusive member only perks and benefits for your £5 a month. So it is, um, I think, in most people's estimation who actually do it. Well worth the money. Go to pod.fan and find a Small Voices page on that website and you can sign up as a member there. Also, if you're in need of a new website or a reboot of your old one, let me know and I can sort one out for you on the Squarespace platform. Ben at bensmithphoto.com is the email address. Just a couple of little notes. Um, First of all, there's a little bit of dodgy audio right at the beginning uh, when Martin Parr is speaking. Don't worry about it. It's only a few seconds I hope that doesn't put you off. Gillian Edelstein talks a little bit about a book project that she's currently funding on Kickstarter. It's called Here and There. Just so you know, at this point, uh, when uh, this goes out on Wednesday, the 24th of May, it's about a week to go on that. If you're interested in in pledging, it's um, nearly there. But um, go to Kickstarter and the book is called Here and There or type in Gillian Edelstein's name. That's Gillian with a J. If you want to clarify or confirm or find out more about any of the people featured on this week's episode, use the show notes. com is the website. So go to com slash a small voice. And there are always extensive show notes and links to all the people featured and even all the people referenced. So make the most of that. You can um, go and click on the little heart icon uh, to say that you've been to the page. Do that just to let me let me see how many of you can actually be asked to have a look on the website. I'd be intrigued, but it doesn't really matter. All right, here we go. 2023 Photo London Special. So here we are then, it's Wednesday, it's the press day today, so the thing doesn't open properly until tomorrow, but um, this is a kind of press preview day I suppose you'd say, and um, I just uh, arrived, had a very important cup of coffee, and um, the Master of Photography for 2023 uh, here at Photo London is a friend of the podcast, Mr Martin Parr, who's going to introduce us to his show or show us around so we're being sort of uh, corralled right now the um, ladies and gentlemen of the media mainly i think and no doubt a bunch of various random freeloaders of one sort or another so anyway let's um, just kind of go with the flow see what happens
1: So uh, welcome to this exhibition, and uh, for the last 52 years or so uh, which I've been working as a photographer, I've been really fascinated by my own country, and I think one of the things I've tried to do is to define my relationship to this. And in one sense I've done many different chapters, when I worked in black and white in the 1970s, because in the 70s that was the thing to do if you are a, a, a sort of documentary photographer. I covered things like uh, the Chinese community in Liverpool and Manchester, small town, um, Hebden Bridge, uh, non-conformist chapels. Uh, I went to Ireland, did work there. Then I came back and changed the colour, and that uh, meant that the project called The Last Resort, which is probably the one that I'm best known for, was produced. And ever since then, I've been photographing different themes in Britain, uh, and I've tried to build up a really comprehensive sort of uh, inventory, almost, because I think of that as being my legacy. And... uh, That's one reason, for example, why I started the foundation in Bristol in uh, 2017. That was to uh, basically house my own archive. I didn't want to lumber our one daughter. with having to look after that. But also I'm a great believer in uh, other British documentary photographers and we've collected them. We show them regularly at the foundation. Uh, We have a huge library where we have, I think, virtually every post-war British photography book and all the runs of magazines and all these things are very important. But what you'll see here is work that's been shot quite recently. And they've added in, if you like, to my um, inventory of uh, things that I'm interested in Britain. We start with the beach. This is Dudno, uh, which is in Wales, of course. And uh, last uh, summer, I discovered uh, the Dorset Steam Fair, which is quite interesting. And then you see things like Car Boot. You see the Henley Swimming Pool, where people are going into the into that small ice hole during the winter of 2018, I think. And at the top here you see a, a Sikh family having a picnic at Clacton. Next you see um, bonfire at night at Cornwallis Crescent, which is in Clifton, which is where I live. And, and this is one of these sort of themes that I've always tried to capture. Uh, it, it's been a challenge for me to actually have British people on the beach in the rain. Uh, and this is probably the best so far, as it's taken in Clacton. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping to even improve on that as, as time goes on. Uh, I think also what's important to point out is there is some tension between my relationship to Britain and England in particular. It's almost a love-hate thing. And, you know, many things, we all love our own country. But, you know, when I see, uh, you know, I was very upset by the fact that we went out of Europe. When I see the, some of the bigots that we have in this country, it really depresses me. Uh, and so my relationship is like a yin-yang, it's a bit of love and it's a bit of hate all mixed in. And I try and create pictures which have a sense of ambiguity, so people can read them in many different ways. Uh, and that, to me, is an important aspect. Let's go to the next room as well.
0: As you will have gathered, that was Martin introducing his show, which looks great, actually. It's some really... Big colour prints on the wall. There's a little black and white section when we come in as well, cause a lot of the early black and white work, and um, a lot of this stuff is n- fairly new stuff as well, so it's not necessarily things that you will have seen before. Um, and uh, um, yeah, that's notable because you know the man never stops shooting, let's face it, and uh, that's one of the great joys of it. So now I'm here with Claire Hyman and Tracy Marshall Grant um, from the British Centre, no, the Centre for British Photography, the newly opened Centre for British Photography, um, which I think I've mentioned a few times. And now they've got a show here called Writing Your Own Script, Women Photographers from the Hyman Collection. Um, Claire and her husband James are... Responsible for the Heim collection, so that's the connection between that and the 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 British Centre, the Centre for British Photography. I'll get that right in a minute, Um, but yeah, that they opened that, um, so they're behind that. And I'm going to talk to James later specifically about that. But for now, I really want to just talk about this particular show, writing her own script. So uh, let me start with you, Claire. How do you start uh, in choosing who should sort of show here? Because you you've got a you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a mammoth. I mean, it's quite an undertaking and it's quite a responsibility to like, you know, who, who's in and who's out kind of thing.
2: Absolutely. That is the challenge of it. And it was really thinking about how we were going to, what the title was, and then it all sort of flowed from that. So if we just come around here, we start off on the exhibition, looking at works by Susan Hiller. Um, so the title is very much based on what, some work from her. Um, and this particular work here, um, where she looked at um, work... photographs that she took in a photo booth Um, and on top of it you can see that this is writing this script that's illegible, and you and it's to do with that communication and inability to properly communicate Um, and these are the photographs that she took in different times so it's got um, the midnight in oxford circus labbrook grove and these are the different photo booths that she went to and then the work is The exhibition kind of stems from there. In this room here, it's very much talking about the image and the written words and how it comes together and the idea of communication. And as we work through the exhibition, um, it's sort of two parts, it's um, the documentary, photographers so the exhibition is really from the 1930s and um, to present day and um, thinking about documentary then later on the exhibition shows works by uh, more contemporary artists often reflecting on some of the earlier artists mm. and thinking about their own personal uh, photographs of themselves and giving um, uh, th- their views um, on that
0: yeah and so you've got quite a spread in terms of, like, we're going to go and look at some of the stuff that's, um, well, like you say, where are we going from the 30s? And here we've got um, Eliza Hatch, who's, you know, kind of brings us right up to date, really. this is stu- And you found her on Instagram.
2: Yeah, so she was doing this amazing project, taking photographs of um, women and writing their stories as well Um, and her work is very much thinking about um, how she uses photography as part of sort of social action and um, voicing issues which Mm. is really interesting Mm.
0: and now Tracy Marshall Grant is also here you're a curator well how do you describe yourself generally speaking
3: I would call myself an arts producer
0: okay there we go so that's
3: curation only it's everything that goes from the start to the end usually including the money
0: right exactly okay that's why i asked you because i knew that you'd nail it in terms of like a proper description of of what you do now when we had the opening at the center for british photography recently there was there was another show which was focusing on women so there's there's kind of a theme going on here which you know i think we can we can agree is something that needs to happen generally but what tell me about that one just can you tie it in with with that show not not in the sense that this is somehow connected but that was another thing that was focusing on on some women
3: well, um, I would say that since I started to work with Claire and James and the foundation, which has gone back now to about 2020, uh, it's always been focused on their collection of women. So when they are working with this work, they're also working supporting women artists, mm. um, facilitating them getting the platform as well. So that show by Fast Forward was facilitating advocacy for Fast Forward, but also the artists in it. Some of those were in the collection, I'm right in saying, and some of them weren't. They were just uh, given a platform in that show. But also um, inside the centre for the opening was that big Fast Forward show, but there were also three pieces of work upstairs that were from commissions, um, with women by the Hyman Foundation or purchases like Natasha Caruana by the mm. Foundation. So it was all at that stage. The Hyman Foundation had supported that initial stage of support for women and then it came up into the centre. Okay. I just also just
2: add to that um, that I think it's important to say that what we're doing at the centre we're not just showcasing our own work from our collection but that particular exhibition they're talking about we feel it's very important to get others involved so actually getting external curators to put on other shows so it's it's showing our own work sometimes and um, bringing in other external curators um, and exhibiting other work that we don't in fact have in our collection but just having a showcase for that and also bringing exhibitions that have been um, put on elsewhere in England um, of British photographers that might not necessarily get an opportunity to be shown in in London so it's it's those three different areas
0: right okay good Shall we walk through so what do we have to say about the general state of um, the industry as far as women photographers goes I'm I'm, I'm gonna take a massive uh, leap and say that um, things still badly need to improve but presumably it's a little better tracy you want to do you want to jump into this thorny question
3: i would say from a producing curating point of view everyone is very tuned in now to making a fair balance and representation and personally i would work predominantly with women in grip shows mostly i know that work like claire and james have been doing supporting women has always been there it's Coming more to the forefront and there are more and more groups working predominantly with um an emphasis on women mm. so i think it's getting better it's still a long way to go but also i think getting that balance that people do it naturally it's not something that everyone stands and really counts how many women are in a show it's just naturally happening um and i mean there are so many more women coming out of photography courses it should naturally start to balance itself very soon mm.
0: okay I'm going to hold you. Down. I'm going to come back to you if that doesn't happen five in 5 years time. Um, Claire, you want to talk a little bit about Edith Tudor Hart. I don't know of her. Um we've got some stuff here from all the way back to the 30s and then also well it looks like, you know, there's quite a Range in terms of the, the time frame because there's 20 years right here between one picture and another but who was it? Edith Tudor Hart?
2: Edith Tudor Hart um, was born in Vienna and then she came over to England um, and a lot of her work she's done is about um, social issues this photograph here of the um, Fountain Hospital um, sort of showing the issues of children um, in this hospital
0: Again, you've had to make some decisions about um, who to include here mm. um, i'm not gonna i don't think we shouldn't need to name everyone but we have like i think people can can get a sense that there's quite a, a a range in terms of um both photographic style and in terms of the time frame but you know you you go ahead and t- tell me anything you want i mean well, t- I
2: think shirley baker's a really interesting photographer she was working in the um 60s um in manchester and she sort of chronicled um she was a charity a a young child and yet she was taking her photographs and she was looking at the areas post-war how these kids would be playing around in the areas and what's quite interesting is if we've got up in our collection we've got works going through from 50s 60s and showing the whole difference in the type of children that were playing and how the, the areas became more di- ethnically diverse um, and it's just lovely she really You can see that she's got this connection with the kids. You can look at those photographs. um, And they were interested in what she was doing. And she's very gentle, the way she's taken these photographs. So I I think she's a great photographer to look at.
0: And then um, Dorothy Bowen's another person who's on the wall.
2: Particularly exciting to have her work. Um, Very sadly, she actually passed away a few weeks ago. um, And next year would have been her 100th birthday. Um, And... I'm drawn to these works in particular, because this is actually some of the areas that um, I, I, I know very, I'm very familiar with. this Kenwood House um, and an area of James. actually, he remembered seeing this Whitestone ponds as a child and playing around there. Um, so she's also taken these beautiful photographs of the areas that she lived in. Um, and she was also um, an emigre. she'd come over from um, Vienna, um, post-war Jewish um, lady. Mm. Um, so interesting work
0: actually. yeah really interesting and then yeah we've got some work by a photographer called Bindi Vora let's hear a bit a bit more about Bindi from Claire.
2: Bindi is a fantastic um really interesting project during Covid and we saw it originally online she'd taken work from the found images and put them together with words that were in the press at the time about the Covid crisis um and we started off, she just had a few works online and we got involved and we purchased a few. And this project has um, continued and she's got over, I think she was saying there's three, 370 works now. Um, and it started off with issues about COVID crisis um, there's this lovely image here of a, a sausage maker. It says, you can eat sausages your whole life, but you refuse a vaccine because you don't know what's in it. So she kind of puts these funny little phrases and things that she's seen in the press together with these found images. Um, and it started off with COVID issues. And then later on, she moved to Black Lives Matter, some of the um, ideas behind that. So she's very much she look at these images and it's, it's what was happening in the press at the time.
0: Let's go straight to sort of some of the more um, recent stuff because we can't talk about everybody. But there's a couple of people who I recognise here um, from um, more contemporary times. All right, Claire, you, you go ahead. Tell me um, anything you like no. about anyone you, lo- you like because we've got... Rosie
2: Martin um, did a lot of work originally collaboratively with Joe Spence. Um, and this work She always works collaboratively. This is working with Ver- Verity Wollstead. And she... Is very interested in the idea of the woman's body aging and some of the issues associated with that. Um, so she's got this image here, which it takes a little while to orientate yourself. You can see this flesh, you can see the mm. sort of wrinkles and this older woman. And she's sort of questioning why it is that women feel uncomfortable about their bodies later on and these wrinkles. And maybe actually we should be rethinking it and maybe we should be happy each time we have a wrinkle and it, gives us, it shows that maturity. Uh, that we've, that, that we've
3: reached a certain age. The other thing that I think is really good about Rosie, she's a really good example of someone who still um, requires platforms and support. And the new way that we're doing uh, projects for supporting artists, we call it an emerging artist programme, but it's actually got no age limitation and that's been designed with people like Rosie in mind so that we can support new, first work, first books... Uh, creating work that you haven't really been able to get time to do, finishing projects, Mm. giving grants to finish projects. So that's a large part of what the Centre is going to be doing next year. really nice that you brought that up, actually, because there's
2: always this assumption that um, it's the the new, young, exciting artists that need to be championed. But very much at the um, Centre for British Photography, we want to be championing all photographers at different stages in their careers. Mm. And um, so the older photographer...
4: Yeah,
0: well, not only different stages of careers, but just different ages. Because you know, you you could you could be seventy years old and just and just have started in photography. And I think, like you say, there is a massive emphasis on the on the younguns, and that is you know to some extent um, how it should be. But at the same time, we don't there's no, we don't uh, be ageist about it. Overlook uh, older photographers.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about it, and um, and to both of you, Tracy and Claire, so much. much appreciated.
5: I did, like, at the coronation, I pretended I was sent out to sort of, like, cover the outskirts without going into the zone, you know, like... Because uh, when, when you get into the zone, it's so awful, and you know that it's going to be covered, and you can't get an angle on it. So you just sort of, like, patrol the outskirts, and I suppose that's what I do, you know. Like. I love the way you invent a sort of... someone who's commissioned you. Yeah, So it's, it's got to be some sort of, like... Uh, some really boring official institution, like a sort of government office, like the Ministry of Information or something. Like, because no one else wants to do it, because the, the pay is so poor, that you pretend that you've, you've sort of been given, like... a Who are those two fellows who got the job to photograph fa- all the war damage in the Second World War? Um, not, not Cross and Blackwell, that's baked beans. Cross and Tibbs. Oh, OK, I'm not aware of that. And they were a couple of copiers... Who, who suddenly you know their boss came in the Sarge came into their room one day goes right lads you've got the job to photograph all the bomb damage in London you know and they were like oh you know here's the camera now just go out there and get on with it <laughs> and um, I don't think their work was discovered until like the 70s or the 80s I think it was in the Museum of London but it, they are absolutely astonishing um, wow. and how could they not be you yeah. know given that sort of uh, given that brief but I like that I like that idea that, you know, anyone really can sort of... You just happen to be in the right place at the right time and uh, you, you, you get the job. Because mm. there aren't any jobs anymore, as you know, in photography. <laughs> like, editorial is uh, pretty much a goner, unless you're prepared to work for 30 quid, you know.
0: Yeah, I've noticed, I have yeah. noticed, and that does come up a lot. We ca- came into this halfway through. Um, I've run into Chris Dawley-Brown people, which is why we were deep in conversation before i even uh, had time to introduce him but um it's really lovely to see chris down there we um you will probably have heard his episode although i couldn't tell you which number it is at this point
5: how are you doing chris yeah i'm good i'm all about to see you with your uh, Tazcam, relaxed state-of-the-art gear that ben's got there um, yeah lo-fi
0: um yeah. audio stuff so what's your general take on this event <clears throat> you you must have been before and um Perhaps you'll go
5: again. I've been before, and I always walk out the exit after half an hour wanting to top myself. Um, Why precisely? Because that could be for a number of reasons. Well, I suppose it might be because I'm jealous of decent photographers, or it might be because I think they're all awful. I don't know. Uh, Combination. Better than last year was... um, was, was a low point because all these sort of pictures of the obvious ones in the tent, like you know, Prince Charles as he was then, or something, you know, uh, knocking out prints of him for four and a half grand. Who would want that above their mantelpiece? Mm. And it's like uh, I suppose there's a kind of fetishism with these kind of events where the the print, the camera, the sort of the art form itself, it's turned into a an art form that, that it doesn't really sort of deserve. Um, because I always kind of separate art and photography a bit and here you're kind of reminded that it's you know it's kind of like part of the part of the art world and it doesn't always sit so well simply because of the the characters involved in it you know they're uh, they're, they're different it's yeah fetishism I call it hmm. do, do, do you do you kind of get that I mean you've got uh, one of the, the really worrying things is you see these fantastic collections of photography going back all the way to the year dot you know like fox talbot prints um, and they're they're in the hands of someone who's uh, not really <laughs> able to do them justice you know they're like knocking out prints on a on an office laser printer and framing them up and you think it's not you know i can see this in a book i don't i don't need this is not something i'm going to see at sotheby's or something and pay half a million pound for but uh, how, how come they've got the rights to those negatives to reproduce them, you know so that's a bit odd mm. um, how come they've got the rights, I, I, you know that's a good question yeah, well you can't really ask them that you? <laughs> how come you've got the right to be here um, but that's, you know, they're kind of usually uh, you know, very, very gra- glamorous, glamorously decked out kids basically, who maybe are looking after their grandfather's gallery or something um that sounds about possible yeah and their knowledge of photography isn't always that at heart you know so mm. i'm kind of cast a bit of a critical eye on it and I'm take the moral the high ground which i shouldn't do so you know it's a nice day everyone's happy <laughs> who needs miserable objects like me
0: <laughs> no I, I live i live for miserable objects like you chris as you know i'm becoming one myself I probably am one already yeah but these things need to be um thrashed out here i think and you know there's always there's always hopefully there'll be good stuff happening as well yeah um But it's it's nice to bump into you. Uh, Thank you for giving me your perspective. I always uh, value it.
5: Yeah, I'm going to see the publishers now. Particularly uh, Overlaps, of course. uh, Yeah, Hoxton Mini Press and Dowie Lewis. They're always good. Overlaps
0: published one of your at least one of your books. Didn't it It
5: was Tiffany who runs Overlaps? Yeah, and we're in the process of publishing the the next one as well. So. Oh, brilliant! Looking forward to that. Excellent. Well, I am too. Then. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, have a fun. Yeah, you too.
0: See you later. All right. So I'm I'm here with James Hyman, who actually was on last year, come to think of it, showing us some work in the in the gallery, but your your gallery's been sort of rebranded now because it it's Centre for British Photography now, not the uh, James Hyman Gallery. And uh this is what I want to talk to you about, this new venture of
6: yours. Well, it's not quite that it's been rebranded, but we've you know, had the gallery for many years, and then about two, three years ago, set up a charity. Um, and the charity has now opened the Centre for British Photography. So they're separate ventures. Um, the centre is a charity, it's on three floors, it's in German Street, so very central, between Green Park Tube and Piccadilly Tube. And it's been amazing. We opened at the end of January and we're getting incredible visitor numbers. Mm. Um, and we're excited to be at Photo London uh, exhibiting in two forms so we've got a big exhibition of works from the collection that's not a selling exhibition, that's basically a museum show which is in the vaults on the embankment side and on one wing you've got Martin Parr who's got a show and on the other wing we've got a show of women photographers uh, from the collection Mm. so we're excited to be doing that but we've also got a stand here and that's our photography sales gallery so all the profits we make from the sales go to our grants program, uh, go to support our public program at the uh, centre.
0: Mm. Okay, because this is it, this is really important. Because I, I wanted to ask you about you know what the intentions for the Centre for British Photography are. Um, is is there a sort of mission statement, as it were, or if there were one, you know, what would it be? Because you mentioned the grants and that, and it's I, I I mean I've heard it said that you know really part of your goal is to what support photographers, British photographers.
6: Yeah, so we set up the charity and we thought we'd do some grants, um, commissions, support photographers that way, but what we've also come to realise is that there isn't really an institution that's sole remit, uh, you know, that's specific function is to support practice in this country. So. You know, we've got two things. We've got the collection, and we want to provide an opportunity to show aspects of the collection. But more than that, we want to give other people an opportunity to curate shows. We want to take shows that come from the regions and maybe don't get a London showing. Um, You know, be part of a photography community. um, And by having the centre and by being centrally located, and I think it's very important to say being free, uh, we're getting huge numbers of visitors. You know, in the first two two and a bit months, we got a 100 different pre-booked groups. You know, art students, adult education, universities, all sorts. And it's been incredibly popular. So I would say our USP is to support Uh, photography in this country that doesn't mean you have to have a British passport it's not about nationality it's about contributing to the photographic culture of this country Mm. so in fact one of the things we're doing is celebrating diversity celebrating women in photography uh, providing a platform for people whether it's through our events or through our exhibitions so it's very much trying to work with people Mm. as well as having the collection that we can draw on but yes, it, when you look at the Tate, the Tate includes photography along with all the other different media that it uh, shows. Uh, the V&A, which you know, has one of the greatest photography collections in the world, is nevertheless competing with all the other departments and isn't about British photography, it's about photography globally. So we feel that what we're doing is looking at specifically what's happening in this country. Um, you know, That's our agenda, is to support what's happening here, which sometimes feels like it falls through the cracks. Mm.
0: All right, but let me play devil's advocate with you for a minute or two. Because, you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a really laudable intention to support, you know, British photographers and British photography because, you know, clearly it's very much necessary. But then, uh, you know, one thing that sort of struck me a little bit was that the first thing that, that happened was that, you know, you um, asked the uh, photographers to, to contribute a print for free that was then sold in an auction and that was all there to raise funds. But that felt a little bit kind of... You know that didn't quite feel right for for an organisation that's supposed to be supporting those photographers you, it was just someone else asking for something for free from them
6: I think that what we were trying to do is say that this is a community that we want to be a part of and we want photographers to feel that they have a connection with it that it's for them, that they get in, on board so actually having a print at a very, very favourable price was a way of... Um, saying we're a community, that there are collectors who feel that they can support us, that people could pay a relatively small amount and buy a print, that photographers could play a part, that we're all in it together. And people were only too happy to support us. The photographers were very generous. The people were very generous. But I think your question is uh, based on uh, actually something, if I may say, rather flawed, which is, if we don't have support by others we will close Mm. it's as simple as that
0: i know i get that completely but but it it seems strange that it's the photographers who yet again are being asked to you know give something up for nothing when they're the ones you know half of them are completely broke and uh you know they find it difficult to carry on and so i don't know it just struck me as slightly sort of a a kind of it, it was strange messaging in a way
6: Well, nobody I've spoken to has made the point that you have. The photographers we spoke to were only too pleased to get on board. After all, in the case of many, many of them, I've been supporting them for years by collecting their work Mm. or showing their work. So I think if sometimes photographers are asked to be a part of things and are willing to donate, that's terrific. I'm very grateful to it. I'm very thankful to them. I'm very thankful to the people uh, who bought their prints and helped us. I think this is helping to build a community of people who feel that this is for them i think that unless we have other people whether it's photographers whether it's others getting on board and helping us we will close down Mm -hmm. we do not have the resources to do this ourselves. it's a very very simple message so i think your point would be fair if we had deep pockets Mm. we don't we are overstretching ourselves to provide a service because we think that photography in this country has not been supported in the way that it should have
0: what is it about this country? I, 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 I think you know everyone would agree. I mean, I was just in Italy and you know a, a festival there, and you know both private money and corporate money and institutional money is put into the photography in, in, in the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. But when you come back here, you kind of it, your heart sinks a bit. It's a bit depressing. But is there some kind of? Do you have an understanding of why there is that problem here?
6: Um, I think. There are different strands to it. So if a museum or if our centre puts on a photography show, there is an enormous audience. And I think about the shows that we've put on, like Headstrong, uh, Women and Empowerment, or The English at Home. We are getting huge visitor numbers. People love these exhibitions. So there's always been a bit of a mismatch between a huge audience, a young audience, a diverse audience that love photography, and then whether or not there is a collector base Mm. whether or not people are supporting it that way. And you touch on, you know, the need for photographers like everybody else to earn a living. Mm. It's very, very hard in this country. You know, there's a tradition of teaching, of doing commercial work uh, or, or editorial work. But in terms of, you know, living by your practice, living by print sales... It's always been difficult in this country. And I can't really explain that mismatch when there's such an enthusiasm and an audience for photography exhibitions. Mm. But I think part of it is that we have this reverence for the photo book. So there are very, very serious collectors of photo books. There's a passion for the photo book. And you only have to look at the success of Offprint to see that people love it. But often people buy the book... And it, they don 't then think, "Well, actually, I could buy the photo, mm. I could have something on my wall, because what they 've enjoyed doing is building their library, so I think that 's one of the areas where sometimes it breaks down. People buy the book and they consume their photography that way mm. rather than the photographic image, the photographic object.
4: Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose the obvious point there is that you can buy a book for fifty quid, but you can't can possibly buy a print for that kind of money. So I guess it's maybe it's just a very straightforward, you know, economic. Then you
6: problem. can buy a, a you know a Chris Killip in flagrante or whatever at a thousand pounds. You can buy Richard Billingham at many hundreds of pounds. I mean, we've got work on our stand. You know, we're talking here at Photo London. We have photographs on our stand at two hundred and fifty pounds. Mm. So I don't, I really don't believe it's all just price points. Mm. I think that it's also a function of people. Collecting photo books and not necessarily thinking about collecting photographs. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe for those people who can who can afford, you know, to buy a print at any, at any price. But yeah, for a lot, a lot of what I'm trying to say is a lot of photography fans even spending fifty quid on a book is a lot of money, you know. Um, I guess. But let, let's talk about the, the centre because you've got this amazing posh space in Mayfair, and like you, you, you already alluded to the fact that you know you haven't got you know endlessly deep pockets that must be costing a bloody fortune because it's in Mayfair so what how's that all what's the plan is there a limit
6: to the amount of time that you can be at that premises or what's the deal so we've looked at it really as two phases phase one is to get somewhere and try and excite people try and say Mm. look this is what you could have and you can either start and you can be very grassroots and very basic and you know low-key in a in a obscure location Or you can think, right, well, let's really try and push the boat out. Let's try and do something big and excite people and get people on board that way. Mm. So our phase one is really demonstrating what we could deliver and what a public could have. Um, And I think we've demonstrated that. We've had great reviews in the press. We're getting huge, enthusiastic numbers of visitors. I think we've demonstrated what we can deliver. But phase two is thinking about How do we get permanent support for this? Mm. You know, we've seed-funded it. We've set it up. I am the driving force. I'm working seven days a week on it. You know, I'm stretching myself in every possible way to try and deliver. But if other people don't get on board, it won't succeed. Mm. And... Yes, we're in a good location, but we're in a good location because I wanted to be near a tube station, and we're on a good location because we got a good deal off the landlord. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can accept that if you're in German Street, people think, oh, well, this is posh, this is central London, this is fancy. Actually, we got a good deal off the landlord, and we're by a tube station in central London. Mm -hmm. It was as prosaic as that. So... I think there may be sometimes a mixed message that this looks like it's an amazing place. It is an amazing place. And the builders we had did a fantastic job converting it. But it won't survive. You know, if people don't get on board, we don't get to phase two.
0: Mm. Well, good luck with that. And I hope you do. Right, folks. I'm back. It's now Thursday, day two. Let me just tell you the state of play. Um, I just got here. The festival now opens at 1pm. used to be noon, so it's getting later and later. And I still do not understand why they open so late. So I've got to, I'm have got. i going to hopefully talk maybe to Michael Benson uh, tomorrow or later. And um, I'm, I'm, that's one of the really dumb questions I'm going to put to him. But anyway, I digress. Um, it's pouring with rain. Everyone has um, bolted. So... I have got exactly one hour before I have to go and do the school run uh, and I'm probably not going to get anything done, let's face it. Hopefully I'm going to bump into a few people. One person I have just bumped into, happily, is Simon Roberts um, who I saw recently in Italy um, where I went to talk to Ivor Prickett who hopefully you have already listened to by the time you listen to this on the recent episode, 204. Ivor had a show at... Coletio Mera Motti, as you probably know by now. And Simon also had a show at the the festival
7: uh, in general. Um, so, hi, Simon. Nice to see you. Hi, hi, yeah. Good to see you too. Not quite as glamorous surroundings, although oh, the building's pretty nice. Mm, yeah. Somerset sort of House
0: never fails to uh, impress, but yeah, other, otherwise I'd rather be in Reggio Emilia for sure. So, well, let's, before you start, um, you wanted to talk about the Ian Parry Award, but... Um, Let's talk about your work for, for a while. What, what were you showing at
7: Reggio Emilia? So the festival was called Europe, Europe Matters and it was um, curated by uh, Tim Clark, um, my particular show, and I was invited to make a comment about Britain in Europe uh, or not, as it were. So I was showing the series Mary Albion, uh, which is a kind of 10-year survey of, of Britain that I published in 2017, and the Brexit Lexicon, which is a work I made um, about the Brexit negotiations. So it kind of was really interesting being there, you know, now that we're slightly on the outside, to, to be invited into the European fold of uh, photography and, and still, still feel like uh, we have part of the conversation yeah i know yeah
0: that's a good point although you know i i um every time you go through an airport now you are reminded that of course that we're now <laughs> no longer part of that and uh it always smarts a bit um so yeah and you had a bit of uh there's some video wasn't just stills so i noticed you made a little um film of sorts
7: yeah i guess since finishing mary albion in 2017 i've been trying to just explore other ways of making work you know I guess to some extent I've been making the same photograph for a long time (laughs) from the roof of my motorhome and I just felt like I wanted to try some different things so the work over the last few years has I kind of drifted in different directions some videos some installations some cyanotypes printing on fabric you know Mm -hmm. just I guess I'm just wandering around in the in the in the in the wilderness trying to find yeah a direction what well, otherwise known as being creative yeah, well, i think yeah, yeah. yeah being creative i guess you know like anybody you just or, or a lot of us we just feel like we want to explore different avenues and rather than just getting kind of pushed into a corner i'm trying to kind of push my way out of mm. that corner
4: mm.
0: yeah absolutely that that seems incredibly healthy kind of place to be as a as a person who's trying to yeah create stuff we were just chatting before I turned the mics on and you were mentioning the Ian Parry Award, which I didn't know you had an involvement with. But um, and a lot of the, certainly the Brit-based people will know about the Ian Parry Award. But just for, you know, I guess my listeners elsewhere, maybe you should explain what it is.
7: OK, so Ian Parry was a young photographer that was on assignment for the Sunday Times magazine and uh, was unfortunately killed when his plane was shot down um, uh, in Romania, and he was covering the Romanian Revolution, and Aidan Sullivan, the then picture editor of the Sunday Times magazine, created this award in his honour, and in his name um, and here we are 33 years later, still, still going strong, and still supporting young photographers basically the award is for uh, a photojournalist slash documentary photographer under the age of 24, or in full time education, so you can be Later in life, as mm. long as you're on a full time course, uh, and in return for s- uh, submitting your photographs of a story of, uh, that, you've, that you've shot, you can be in the running to win um, a not insignificant amount of money. Um, the award is now 10,000 pounds, plus a loan of cameras from Canon and mentorship from a mentor, and um, various other um, mm. benefits. And it's a a way to try and support those um, photographers that are, I guess, still within that more purist base, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are quite strict definitions about uh, what you can be submitting in terms of, you know, there's, yeah. no, there's no kind of uh, digital manipulation or kind yeah. of what AI, constitutes AI in our yeah, in photojournalism. Our. Um, but no, it's it's. You, know, you, you made that introduction about British photography. What's really interesting, over the, actually, over the last 10 years, is how few British photographers enter. Right. Um, and, you know, the winners from the last few years have come from, you know, Palestine, Slovenia, um, Rio, Philippines, you know, all over the world. So it's actually got a really big reach. But we are keen, you know, just to keep as many photographers applying as possible um,
0: Okay, yeah that's good to hear that's good to hear because I mean I, obviously I mean as you say 30 years ago I you know I knew about it when I started out and probably applied for it back in those days and I think nearly just about everybody has over the years but um, I'm glad to hear that yeah perhaps a lot of my international listeners will already know about it and um, you know perhaps be you know, in a position to apply for it or have applied for it. But what's your involvement with it? How did you get, you know, kind of officially, as it were, involved?
7: Um, well, I won in 1997. You won. Okay. Yeah, so I was, I think, the fifth or sixth winner um, after people like Jeremy Sutton Hibbert, um, who actually has just run past, um, <laughs> Harriet Logan, who now runs the Insight Project um, and has is, uh, is, is created an amazing archive, a collection of uh, conflict photography um, and uh, who else uh, Leticia Verdez um, uh, Marcus Bleasdale you know various yeah, other yeah. Um, so but I've, I've always had a keen connection with the award but last year Aidan Sullivan and Harriet who now run the award asked whether I would set up a kind of advisory board so mm. we've got uh, a board um, of advisors who are helping us take the award into the next 30 years really we held a, a a big auction at Phillips um, in 2001 to uh, raise money to keep the award going, and w- raised um, a not insignificant amount of money, which from the generosity of, of a lot of photographers in in the community. And using that money now to yeah to, to relaunch the award, is, we've got a new website, IanParry.org. The, the new award is now open, so for entries, so go look at the website. It's uh, I think the deadline's sometime in August. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I guess for me, it's, it was such an important career step for me. You know, I was, I was a young, you know, kind of trying to be a magazine photographer in 1997 and entered the award. You know, I was still living in Sheffield. And at that point, when I won the award, I got a commission for the Sunday Times magazine. And, and that really, I guess, began my, my, my early career. Yeah, like a lot of people,
0: I think, you know, Sunday Times was quite a big supporter of young photojournalists at that point, I think, in the magazine in particular, and Aidan, I guess. Um, but so what's on show here? Like, who's the most recent winner? Is it is it work from that person, or is it a kind of uh, well, th- collection actually of
7: things? Well, so what we've got, we've got a little stand here. Thank you, Photo London, for, for inviting us or <laughs> enabling this to happen. So we've got a stand where we're showing actually the last three years' winners. Okay. Because... Um, we've not been able to of course have the award uh uh, live um so there's actually three 2001 2002 2003 um and we're also we've got a wall of small prints from the last 30 years of winners um and we're selling prints um as a kind of you know raising money for the award only 50 pounds a print that's all right yeah I've just walked past the print here for £12,000. So, oh, all right, you know, yeah, a different. You can get quite a few of ours for the same price. That's all right, that seems like a good value, <laughs> it's a good plug. Thanks for telling me
0: about it, nice to talk to you about it. We should just get out of the rain, shall yeah, we? It's pretty horrible, isn't it? Hi, Martin. How you, um, fortuitous. Doing your
1: special edition. I am. Special and and special edition. I spotted
0: yeah. you coming in and I thought, well, how could I pass up the opportunity? Ah.
1: <laughs> Haven't you had enough, Martin Parr? I mean, honestly, there's so much, there's only so much a man can take. That is indeed true, but you are Master of
0: Photography this year, so it seems only appropriate <laughs> that at least we say, you know, congratulations. But yeah, we've had a, a fair bit of you. Um, what, what have you actually got a chance to have a look at? I'm not, I'm not going to talk about you for once, I want to see what you think um, might be worth looking at. Any, any tips on what I should see or have you not really had a chance?
1: Um, no, I've had a chance to look around. Uh, I mean it's interesting to see uh, Jürgen Schelleberg's pictures taken in the UK, South African photographer mm-hmm. that I met when I was teaching at Newport. David Jones has got some nice pictures, Yeah, you know our friend did all the great stuff in the 80s yep. but you know there's not much documentary work around no, really no. it's more I suppose it's fine art
0: yeah yeah exactly not so much your wheelhouse I suppose or, or mine to some extent
1: yeah How... so I struggle to find things that I, I really like
0: yeah a lot of it is quite commercial I, mm-hmm. I, I never quite understand who it's for here I'm, I'm going to talk to Michael Benson and I'm going to ask him because it's 32 quid to get in that's quite a lot is for really you... yeah. flipping heck that is a lot of money isn't it I yeah. think so and I think that we want to you know be aware of that because for, for, your, for your man on the street you know I, I presume they want to encourage normal members of the public to come and enjoy the stuff but mm-hmm. yeah um, I just wonder how they're going to how all this money can get can trickle yeah. down to the young photographers most of whom as you know are completely skint.
1: That's right yeah
0: uh, is, is Photo cheaper do you know? I don't know how much that is to get in, and right. I'm wa- I wonder what the sort of distinctions
1: are. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway... Um, I assume at the weekend it'll be busy. I mean, I remember the weekends Paris Photo, you can hardly walk down the aisles. So um, I wonder if that happens here. I, I, I'm not coming here tomorrow. Mm. Um, are you coming tomorrow? No, I'm not, um, because
0: I will have had three days on the trot by then. Yeah. But... Um, I presume they want. I mean, you know, like you say, photography, as indicated by Paris, photography, it's hugely popular among, you know, the, the general wider public, much more so than other forms of fine art, I think. So it seems silly not to encourage them to come.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, I mean, maybe this is student rate. Do you know that? Have you done your research very thoroughly? Of course I have. The student rate is 22 <laughs> quid, which right. is still a f- quite a lot. Little, for a us. little bit better, though. yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, all right, well, anyway, I, I yeah, I guess... Um, these things I can um, discuss with other people um, well thanks for those tips that you also released. the
1: new director you know you should talk to Kami yeah. and see what he's got up his sleeve because you know he's saying he's going to change the direction of Photo London uh, so I guess we have to wait until next year exactly. to see the evidence of that
0: yeah exactly well that's maybe that's when I'll talk to him or in, in the meantime perhaps but yeah it'd be interesting I, I hope he'll be able to sort of Keep in touch with um, reality to some extent, in, in a sense of not occupying too rarefied a world, because yeah, that's what we need, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, thanks. Good to see ben. Thanks for chatting, sir. Right. And uh, yeah, see I, the next one. I enjoyed enjoyed looking at your show. Um, quite a lot of new
1: work there, which isn't good to see. That's right. I mean, I could have just showed the old, you know, the old greats, but everyone's a bit bored with them, including myself. Mm. So it's nice to have an opportunity to uh, show new work. Uh, I hope most of the pictures you hadn't seen before. I hadn't. And then in the installation to do that with the beach therapy pictures, taken with the telephoto. I think they look, uh, even I can say they look pretty good all together. So I was very happy with how that worked out. Good. I'm glad
0: you were. Yeah, it looked great. Prints were beautiful. Thank you for (laughs) chatting. Uh, uh, Thank you, Ben. Now, what do I have to tell you? It's Friday. It's not currently raining, but it's going to, again... I'll always like to give you a weather report as you know bits of news to report um the deutsche boss award was uh, announced last night at at the photographer's gallery and the winner was samuel fosso so congratulations to samuel fosso um i did not go because it's a total bun fight and i just couldn't face it to be honest as you regular listeners will probably know by now i'm uh, I'm a sort of gregarious introvert, which means I like people a lot, but I also find them exhausting in in larger numbers. So <laughs> that's why I didn't go to that. Well, that's kind of why, one of the reasons why. Uh, what else? The Nikon uh, Emerging Photographer Award, um, which um, I think was announced on Thursday, uh, was won by uh, Leah Haboda. I hope I've pronounced that right. Yeah, Lea Habordin, uh won that. And that, w- that was won by Max Mikowski last year, who I spoke to, uh, as some of you might remember. But um, that's who won that one. So, yeah, that's your update. I'm going to see who else I'm going to be able to chat with. yes i've got michael benson here he's one of the co-founders with three Farshad. it's kind of a bit absurd that i haven't spoken to either of you up to now because i've been doing it for some years now on the podcast so this is the first time i've got around to 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 having a chat but thanks for, for for chatting with me um you sort of half joked in in your introduction that you might be sort of stepping back a bit but is that is that really true
8: it's sort of true um we haven't set any dates on it really um but we are planning to um there are other things we want to do with our lives we've we've both been we've been doing this since two thousand and fifteen and um running an art fair is a young person's business you know and um and if you've got other things you want to do with your life as well, I mean, I, I write books and things, and I, would, I want to just concentrate a bit more on doing that. Fariba loves con- uh, creating exhibitions. She wants to do a few more of those. So we were looking for ways of doing new, new things as well. But I'm sure, you know, this is our baby. We'll we'll, we'll carry on nurturing it until we fall off the cliff. Um, but we've got a very good new director in Camia, so we're yeah. yeah, happy about that.
0: Kamiya um tell me a little bit about him who for those of us who aren't familiar with him where's where's Camille from what's his background
8: well he comes from a a family with a very strong collecting background in contemporary art Um, and he has he has worked uh, both at contemporary Istanbul and the Volta Art Fair so he has a nice um, two nice things uh, in his background which are particularly helpful which is a which is a strong collecting tradition lots of connections with collectors and um, curators around the world but also um, has has is quite well versed in the running of art fairs you mm. know knows the ups and downs mm. the tensions the stresses and 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 understands how to negotiate them
0: he he alluded to the fact that he might be you know bringing in some changes or I, I don't want you to speak for him because obviously I'll, I ultimately I can hopefully speak to him myself at some point maybe we'll wait until ne- this time next yeah. year but um, what what do you what can you share in terms of
8: his plans well I think he's he quite rightly he said um, to us that um, many of the big contemporary galleries have got very fine holdings of photography, um, many of which don't get seen very often they send against you know contemporary art fairs so um, one of his plans and we, which we support him in hundred percent is to begin to unearth some of those collections in you know the houses and Worth, the Zwerner's, the gagosians um, and to see if we can begin persuade some of them to show with us as mm. part of Photo London um, to do that of course he's going to have to also tap into his collecting a uh, collector uh, in the works to make sure that the people come who want to buy that work mm. so there's, there's, he has two challenges there but and I don't want to set him those particular galleries as a, as a target but it's those kinds of things you know um, if you look at Marion Goodman Gallery in New York they have an amazing collection of photography doesn't get seen very often very rarely at art fairs maybe the odd um, the odd piece but um we're, we're very keen to work with those galleries to bring that, expose those collections and, and introduce them to uh, new and younger collectors too. Mm. So I think that's one direction that he's going to move in. Mm. Who's the fair for, as far as you're
0: concerned? I've always wondered, don't say it's for everyone, because you're not allowed to uh, say that, because nothing can be for everyone, clearly. But, no. you know, it is open to the public. Clearly, the wider public, you know, are interested in photography. They yeah. always have been, more so than other types of artwork. But, but it's also a trade fair. It's kind of
8: trying to serve two, t- two, two groups. Things. Yeah, it does two things. I mean, it started, the reason we did start at Photo London in the first place was we, we sensed... Um, and this was just an instinct actually at the time we started there was a real um, groundswell of uh, of interest in photography people starting galleries people beginning to uh, beginning careers as photographers and the london scene was beginning was on the verge of taking off and thankfully photo has proved that hunch right so there's a big um, there's a big group of emerging galleries and emerging uh, photographers that we we are we are obviously for Equally, we are um, celebrating, you know, the very best in photography from around the world. So, we are for international photography collectors mm. too. Um, but of course, you know, um, we try and we try and present a very strong public program. That's also been part of our DNA. I was encouraged by a lady called Maya Hoffman, who, started, who helped us start the fair and said, "Look, we'll, I'll, I'll give you some seed money, but that money has got to be for the public. It's mm. not. It's not to encourage commercial galleries. They can. They can either they'll stand and fall on their own. Their own. Their own merits." What I want you to do is to create the be- the best public program in the world. So you have a talks program, which is you know probably second to none. Uh, we have the exhibition program, Martin Parr's exhibition this year. We have um, um, she writes her own script, uh, um, a collection of work from the British Centre of Photography, the New British Centre of Photography. Um, so, it. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm waffling to answer your question, no, no, no. but it's, it, it's not for everyone. But there's 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 something for. Uh, quite a lot of different gr- a- a groups aid groups and experiences and and, and, and collectors both big uh, starting collectors and also collectors who've been in the business for quite a long time
0: yeah because it's 32 quid to get in and it's that is quite a lot of money for a lot of people I mean in terms of the, the wider public I'm just wondering if that is enough to encourage
8: you know the man off the street or the woman off the street to come and you know enjoy some good good images well, it seems to be. I mean we we'll we we are expecting an audience of for around forty thousand people over the five days of the fair. Um around ten thousand of them would be collectors, the rest would be yes, as you put it, the man off the street. Mm-hmm. And and there are concessions, I mean, for students and school children and and um, you know, we've welcomed a number of school parties here, uh, over the over the course of the uh, of the of the fair. So it's it's a, it's a, it's competitive, but when you think you're you've got you know 125 exhibitors from all around the world, you've got two major exhibitions, um, you've got a talks program, uh, you've got some installations. That, so it's it's, it's a, there's a whole bunch of things to see. I think it's it's a reasonable fee. Mm. It's, it compares nicely with with um, uh, the the fair in Paris, which is about the same sort of price. Mm. Because I mean, obviously, you know, from a commercial perspective, all these galleries,
0: you know, they they're spending a lot of money to here they've got to sell prints and stuff but how do we have this money all this money trickle down to the to the young up-and-coming artists and and photographers because you know i've been a photographer for 20 30 years and you know everyone i've ever known has basically been skint <laughs> you know in terms of photographers michael so how do we do something about that and and you know kind of yeah like i say have this money trickle down
8: yeah well i mean the, the money doesn't entirely um not trickle down I mean we there are there are schemes that we have for emerging photographers mm. um, and we've done a um, with the, our discovery section was 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 designed to encourage young gallerists people starting out on the on the road to becoming the next Marion Goodman or whatever um, to be able to afford to do an art fair like this and to make some money um, and You know, we can't we can't solve all the problems of funding uh, uh, photography students and photographers. I wish we could, but um, what we are doing is providing as 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 good a platform at a range of different price points as we possibly can. Mm. So we're giving we, we, we I mean. You know, everyone will say, "Well, why don't you do it for free?" Well, there is a rather expensive building in Somerset House, and there's quite a lot of staff, um, so you do have to think about paying people's salaries and paying the rents and the you know the running cost of the fair, which is not insignificant. Mm-hmm. And I would say that no one ever does an art fair if they're seeking to make money, mm-hmm. unless they're puzzle. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, Camille. He made reference to bringing back the quality. I, I, I don't know whether the quality dipped or whether he was talking about the COVID situation because obviously that, that had an impact. What, what, was he, what did he mean by that?
8: I think that the, the, he's talking about the COVID situation. Yeah. I mean, really, what, the reason that he's saying that is because in, with, with COVID, a lot of the world was, was um, closed off. So, for example, we had a, used to have um, a very strong contingent of Japanese galleries, but we, um, we've got one right now. And he 's keen to find ways of bringing back those Japanese galleries the, gal- the galleries from we have some galleries from Australia this year, and we also so it 's about bringing back the quality of people who are travelling to be at the fair, both the co- collectors and the and the and the dealers mm. and that 's beginning to happen this year, mm. but you know there's still some work to be done, yeah is coming from from a from a fairly rarefied
0: place, as yeah. we can say without without doubt but you know that again is that going i 'm worried i 'm worried that he's not he 's going to not be sufficiently in touch with
8: you know reality in terms of <laughs> most people 's experience. Um, well, that would be true if he was the only one involved in the fair, but he, he's, he's, he's one of a team. I mean, he, okay, he leads the team, but he has us in the background. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't neither Faribar or I come from that kind of background. And we, we are, you know, my son's a photographer. He struggles to make a, make a living as, as, you know, as, as I used to when I was a, an impoverished writer. So, you know, it's, um, there's a mix. And the nice thing about this is that, you know, um, what Cameo brings is a connection with those kind of higher echelons of collectors, who we need to, and if we're going to extend the fair in the way that we need, we need to, to make sure that it, it works for everybody. We will need to have, a, you know, a good group of people coming and buying, a, buying photography here because that will encourage more and more dealers to come. It'll co- encourage other collectors to come. It'll come, in a, and it'll be an opportunity for co- photographers to make a lot of money. Mm. I want to
0: ask you a really banal question, but it's always bothered me. Why does it open so late in the day? It used to be noon. <laughs> now it's one p.m. Have you got something against morning people or something? Can you open at ten a.m. or something?
8: <laughs> I suppose we could, but I mean, we what we what we. I mean, it's in a way, it's the traditional art fair model, and whether that's the right model or not, I don't know. But we tend to find that um, we we open early, early-ish, and for collectors to wander around the galleries without without having too much sort of. Going on, so that mm. they can make they can make their deals and they can they can buy work without being sort of inundated. I mean, if you look at the booths even now on a, on a rainy day on a rainy Friday, Friday afternoon, the booths are very crowded. Mm. It's quite difficult to do the you know, do the things you need to do and have the conversations you need to have. But I don't have anything against mornings. I mean, I, we've we've done a number of private tours for schools or for individuals right. a little before the fair opens. I don't want to advertise that too much because it means I have to get up too early. But I mean, <laughs> um, we do we do do that. But um, yeah, and, and the whole art fairs do tend to open a little late, and they stay open. At, you know, we stay open stay open until eight eight o'clock this evening, yeah. so people can come after work, and that's part of it as well. You know, mm. because we realise that people are at work and so there's that those that those three hours between five let's say people knock off at five i'm not sure if that's, that's true post-pandemic but let's just say they do it's got three hours when they can wander around the fair yeah, so yeah okay fair enough all right i'll i'll accept that <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that <laughs> explanation mornings mornings are fine <laughs> <laughs>
0: um all right well look um we were both saying before we start recording that neither of us really had much chance to 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 look around we've, we've mm-hmm. both seen i think well only martin's show and i've seen the um writing your own script which you're you saying you still kind of haven't got around to seeing him properly but what are you sort of looking forward to checking out that you haven't seen yet what let me ask it another way what should i go and check out in, on behalf of my listeners and tell
8: them about do you think i would encourage you to check out the the, the obviously the booths at the fair i mean for me i've i've spent my the last three days wandering around the booth of the fair and talking to the people who are coming because that that's really my main priority indulging my own interest in British photography would be lovely but I'm, I'm waiting for the Sunday afternoon to do that
0: well you're working let's
8: face it I Yeah, yeah really, I mean, that's yeah. what it comes down to <laughs> me too in fact yeah. yes but I mean you know there's lots there's a, there's a huge mixture huge diversity of things to see um, there's galleries from Iran for, we've got the biggest concentration of Iranian galleries Iranian artists this year uh, in the fair there are people who are working on Um, slightly maybe difficult subjects for collectors to put on their wall, but people like Gideon Mendel at Artco Mm. uh, is doing amazing work uh, on uh, the the impact of the the climate crisis, as is a lady called Mandy Barker at Roland Belgrave who's looking at kind of the impact of marine plastics. So there's there's a kind of there's a lot of social concern as well as just sheer beauty. I mean, there's this fantastic booth of fashion photography at Iris Stemmen from, um, from Munich. Um, David Grob from from, uh, from, uh, from London is showing for the first time since he passed away William Klein's work. So, it's uh-huh. a real interesting mixture of things. I mean, um, you know, I could go on for an awfully long time yeah, yeah. about what you could see. Yeah, and yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's really my, my point really is diversity. Mm. There's a massive... Of, of different things, from engaging things from all over the world, and of course, I should say that there's a very, very, uh, an expanded publisher section. Of course, the photo book is a very important part of our ecosystem, so we try, within the within the confines of Somerset House, um, mm. and they, you know, big, big though it is, they're still our confines. Mm. Uh, we try and present as many publishers as we can as well.
0: Someone I keep bumping into, Gillian Edelstein but before we. See, this is the trouble. You go to some place and then uh, you bump into someone and then you forget where it was you were going. Just to catch up with you, you've you've got a book in the pipeline. Do Do you want to tell the listeners about it?
9: I can and I will. I'd love to. The book is called Here and There. It was going to be called Here and There, The Search for Great Aunt Minna. But it's now called Here and There, An Expedition of Sorts, which is what it feels like it feels like a massive expedition it is a personal story narrative piece where i discovered a lost branch of the family that took me from latvia to ukraine amongst other countries and um, the expedition has been about the, it being published and the truth is that the fact that it's taken ever so long and i apologize to all of you you who did pledge Um, that it's taken so long but um, often this is meant to be and I didn't ever think there'd be a war in Ukraine so the book ends literally with a kind of encrypted telegram message from my found relative who happens to be the local rock star in Dnipro who says to me it is too dangerous please do not come come when we win the war we played music before the war began and we'll play music when it ends
0: so and obviously none of that but you wouldn't have got any of that if you'd published it when you initially intended to
9: also i then went back to ukraine because the first time i went i thought i was going to shoot a film and those images um on they were t- grabbed shots from the film so we not using those but so in 2018 when i went back I'm using those updated images. And then I did feel the rum- rumblings of war at mm. that time. There were trucks and um, lots of military people. That's my overriding memory of it. So, you know, the Black Sea thing had happened, and Putin mm. was, r- you know, his warrior feathers were being ruffled clearly.
0: Mm. And uh, it's going to be published by Ghosts. Are you crowdfunding? What happened? Tell me about the uh, saga of this book.
9: Um, I met somebody who suggested I try John Mitchison at Unbound. Unbound don't normally um, do photographic books. But there was an editor there who liked the work. And uh, they have done. I would say about three photographic books, and mine was the one <laughs> which actually has still failed to uh, materialise. And the reason being that, um, if I my memory serves, if that I had to raise something like twenty-six thousand for this book to be published. But there, <laughs> there was a point when I would got to about sixteen, having raised sixteen thousand, where Stuart Smith, who was always on board as the designer, said. I think we can do this let's take it away from Unbound and do it through Gost and that is what happened
0: so anyone who pledged initially has got a book coming to them basically
9: absolutely and sometimes some people pledged more not for a book for print or some other wonderful things and and those will all be honoured of course
0: okay perfect thank you for telling me about it look forward to seeing it when it finally uh, materialises, which hopefully it will this time. Right, I've just wandered into Gideon Mendel's exhibition here, which um, I actually did wander into yesterday, but the man himself is here now, so I can get a chance to talk to him. Hello, Gideon. Um, Hi, how how, how are you doing? I'm all right, actually. Um, How are you doing, more to the point? Tell me a little bit about this... Exhibition you've got going on here.
10: Um, so this is um, an exhibition which is loosely called Fire Flood, um, and I'm doing it with a German gallery called ArtCo, and we've got a solo solo presentation. Um, I mean ArtCo s- supported me to use this whole room to show some of the various narratives um, from my fifteen years of work on climate change, and you know I think what's happened over the years is, you know, I begin doing a certain thing, and then like another thread emerges. So there's kind of all these different interwoven narrative threads in the project. For example, you see here some of what I call the submerged portraits from my Drowning World project, which are portraits of people affected by flooding, engaging the camera, you know, in a very intense and um, kind of proud way. In a way, sort of, um, and alongside them. There's a series I call Floodlines, which is a series which kind of tracks the line of flood water. But actually, it's not a single flood line in the image. It's often a repeated flood line because you, you get the different lines of where the water has sat at different points. Mm. And the reflection mm. as well. And the reflection as well. So there's multiple lines. And if you look at this picture, there's kind of one, two, three, four, five kind of different flood lines in the same image. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful. And... Um, I mean, the other narratives which, are, which aren't here also have a collection of flood-damaged personal photographs, which I call watermarks. And I have to, at this point, there so also I get complaints from some curators that I have too many names, <laughs> too many titles. It gets confusing. It should just be getting mental climate change. Right. Yeah. Well. And yeah. They, they want it to be kept simple. Kept simple. And then there's the my work on fire, which again we've showing multiple narrative things and actually physical installations.
4: So
0: You've got some cameras that have been obviously badly fire damaged. Are those yours or are there just ones that you found in the, in the wreckage of these people's homes? So
10: when I was photographing in Colorado um, at the end of 2021, no, the fire was at the end of 2021, but it was in April 2022, I met um, Terry Murphy, who is a property lawyer but a, an obsessive Nikon camera collector. So he had a huge collection of old Nikon cameras which were destroyed in the fire. Uh-huh. Um, so that's his personal collection, and you can see there are lots of you know old Nikon Fs, yeah. F3, FM2s, all the all those kind of for a certain generation of people who began in the 80s, those were like you know, the standard cameras you, can, you you kind of went to. Yeah. So um, so and he, you know so he just showed me it and they were on the floor and he was going to throw them away. Mm. But, but beyond those, we actually have a burnt tricycle from Greece and a burnt stop sign mm. from Greece as well. So um, so. I mean, These are all linked to a series which I call Climate Artifacts, which are uh, kind of an archive of objects I've collected from the scenes of fires, which I then try to photograph in a very forensic way. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look at these pictures, they they are shot with no... I, I wanted to kind of get no background texture at all. So knowing nothing at all about still life photography, I went into a still life studio with a very good still life assistant and photograph them in a way where you, you actually put them on the object onto glass with oh. um, a white background like a meter beneath it okay so and obviously they they're very carefully lit and they're stacked you know each one is a, cu- a couple of um couple of images um, so so you, so you have you know just no fall off in depth of field mm. and they you know the backgrounds are completely white there's n- zero texture at all mm-hmm. in the backgrounds yeah uh, and, like and you say very forensic approach so i mean what's interesting is you know, I decided at the kind of last minute to create an installation of the actual original cameras, and they've caused m- more interest than anything else. Yeah. You know, you know, people just are so drawn to these physical cameras. Um, and sh- you know, going walking you through some more of the kind of narrative threads here. This, these kind of seemingly old-fashioned black and white photographs are shot quite recently on the Greek island of Evia, where hundreds of thousands of olive trees were destroyed in the fire mm-hmm. in August 2021 and I got obsessed with these olive trees because they, they just formed these amazing sculptural shapes um, and, but I just felt it needed a very different kind of photographic response to what I normally do because mm. I wanted to show that they're just these incredible forms they make so it felt like black and white was the way to do it Yeah, 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 I have not um, seen these before it's nice to see this um, stuff and although they were shot digitally um, and then you know, converted to black and white we, they actually are conventional darkroom prints, okay. and we, we generated black and white negatives from the digital files, and took them into the darkroom to um, to, to print with with conventional chemistry and conventional paper. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to make like proper darkroom prints. And if you look at them, you can see they actually are incredibly sharp. Mm. I mean, the sharpness is. I, I don't think it, you know a conventional medium format black and white print, print could print. look that. Like- What it could be any sharper than that, you know, it's kind of as... No, they're
0: great. This project sort of, you know, is sort of um, endlessly um, kind of rich pickings in a way for you. I mean, sadly, because we're dealing with, uh, you know, one of the (laughs) existential threats of our times. But um, from your point of view, there seems to be plenty of kind of new
10: angles to keep taking. Well, I I suppose I keep on trying to find different ways to communicate it. And, Mm. And I think for me it's important to not have just one visual formula Mm -hmm. you know to like respond visually in a way that's appropriate to the subject and you know it's quite interesting quite a few people have come into this gallery and have thought there's five different artists here because because the visual approaches for the different sections are, are really quite different
0: just bumped into alex schneiderman who um well some of you will know as a sometime sponsor on the podcast because alex runs flow photographics there you've got a free plug there alex but um he was also recently the art director of the oxford photo festival which um took place only a few weeks ago and um i was down there for a, a day which was very nice but um alex tell me about it tell me about the festival tell me about your experience of having been art director because i know it was your first
11: time doing that What was that like? Um, Well, like you say, it was the first time I'd ever uh, run anything like that. And it was... 90% of it was hard work because the funding was difficult and so on. But when we actually got to the end, the last three weeks, which was the festival itself, it actually all came together in a way that was quite magical. And uh, and I've learnt a huge amount about... Running a a festival, first and foremost, running events, working with people, bringing uh, people together, collaborating, and Mm. and of course, I had an exhibition there of my own, which was how I came to be asked to do the art directing job. So I was, I found uh, a a little insight into the way that institutions interact with, with, with artists and so on. That's been very interesting. I'm glad you you mentioned the funding because that occurred to me. Um,
0: I just got back from Italy from a festival, and um, you know there's a stark contrast between the way that photography is supported and funded elsewhere uh, in Europe and everywhere else in the world, and and the UK. So it was notable to me that it felt, or it certainly felt like that. in in Oxford that you know there needed to be some funding going on and it didn't feel like there was much I mean is that the
11: situation
4: yeah
11: I mean that that's the uh, that is very much the situation I mean Photo Oxford is a charity and it exists on fund on funding there's no uh, and sponsorship and and that means and uh, and also on um, applications to the Arts Council which weren't successful Mm. and what that means is that you put yourself through, or you put the the um, the organisation through a ringer, and the the director Danielle Battagelli, who was you know is in charge of fundraising and so on, had a hell of a time just putting the application in. The irony being that all the strictures that are placed on you when you're looking for funding. In, in a, in such as, and they're not strictures; they're sort of encouragements to diversify, to to bring more people into art who wouldn't normally be in art. And you you gear everything up in that way. You prepare your application. You don't you don't get the funding, and all and and frankly, it, all of the things that you want to do that will bring people to photography, to art, all the benefits that may. Um, that may come from a community festival like Photo Oxford, go straight out the window, and, you, and you're left back on the, what money you can, you can raise from, you know, scrape together, you know. And, you know so
0: yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? Scraping money together. I mean, I don't understand why there can't be more kind of co- corporate or commercial sponsorship. That's what seems to happen in elsewhere.
11: Yeah, I think that the problem is, is that gaining that sort of sponsorship is, I've learned, almost a specialist. Task, and you and people don't do anything for nothing. And we did get, we got good sponsors. We had Epson, we had Jetrix who who make these amazing printers. We had, you know, we had a, a spread of, of sponsors that were, you know, incredibly good. But they don't just chuck money at you as you would imagine they might, yeah. you know. And, um, and and so, and what happens is, is that if I can be as so bold as to say, is that right the way down the line. It's the artists who would, who actually have to suck up the the deficit if they want to get their work out there, and that's the, that's what happens, you know.
0: Yeah, that's the the thing one notes. I mean, that that's the thing that really is quite hard to swallow. Like, you know, you've got the the people are actually producing work um, and and creating the the content for the for the festival, and they're having to sort of pay for their own freaking train fares to get there and, and that kind of thing, let alone even the idea of anyone paying for a, a night of accommodation. And that seems to me just completely out of order, really.
8: It, it
11: is out of order. In the context of Photo Oxford, it's, it's you know, it is the only way these things can happen. And so you're, and I was split between, you know, had one foot as a, a, a contributing artist or photographer to a show there. And, and then the other foot was in the being an art director and asking people to take you know, to give of their time their, you know, and their you know, frankly their material, you know, and their money to be there, to be in, involved in in the festival. And so I felt and I could see how easy it is to slip into that relationship where you're basically you're going cap in hand to the artist saying, look, I know we have got nothing, we got fuck all, you know, we, we we need you to back this. And there was one particular artist, and I'm not gonna name him, but he had no funding. And without the support that that um, he gave his own exhibition, and I was able to help with some printing and things like that, um, it, it, one of the best exhibitions in the in the whole festival, it wouldn't have happened because and it, and it was and and there's a slightly uncomfortable relationship where institutions and I think this is quite widespread. I can see why it happened in Photo Oxford, and I and I understand why it was like this, and I condoned it because I was there doing it, so I take some of the responsibility for it, but I can see how quickly we, because of the lack of money at the top, that none of it trickles down, and in the end we exploit artists because we know how desperate they are to to find a a public for their work, and we frankly, we will use that, and I think there needs to be a conversation, a really constructive conversation, because as far as I'm concerned, Photo Oxford was blameless in the sense that our remit was to put on the best Festival that we could, with the with the funds that we have and with the um, with the people we were connected to and and, and the people we could attract, um, and I think we did a noble job in that, and I stand by it. But at the same time, I do get that there is a a an uncomfortable uh, grey area where in which the artists who have no money, I mean Vanessa, you know, I mean I, you know, I mean Vanessa and Winship and I have discussed this, um, you know, e- even one of our Greatest um, talents, you know, is not, you know, bathing in ass's milk every day because, you know, because that's the way it is, you know, and and yet, I'm sure that she would agree that she's being asked to do things for nothing all the time, and and if she pushes back a bit, that puts her in a, an awkward position, and that is the same for everybody, you know, and I don't, I, I mean, I only mentioned Vanessa because I know you, you, Ben, you you know her very well. But, but that's the case for lots of people and, and if they take a personal view that they just want to get it done get the work out there then they will you can't blame them you can't blame a photographer for contributing but at the same time there needs to be a, a an understanding that people shouldn't be doing that for free they need to be paid